there. You are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for Ant-Man. My name is Tom Chick, and to discuss Ant-Man, I have brought along Christian Montoski. Uh, my prison name is Peach. And with our Ant-Man tagline, Kelly Wand. That's your non-prison name, too. Wait, that's not it. Uh, no, my like non-prison name is actually Peanut. Wait, is that from Other Sister's Sister? Go ahead with your tagline, I apologize. He's like the Adam, but slightly bigger. Adam. My backup is... Yeah, you don't know the Adam. See, that's the thing. You don't get these jokes because you're not a comics nerd. I can't even tell if another... like Adam is in subatomic or Adam like Adam First Man or Black right. Adam. I know there's uh, a Black excuse Adam. Excuse me, why would there be a The Adam with biblical connotations? Superheroes, just have bi- superheroes have goofy names, Kelly Wand. I can't be held accountable the Adam. whether or not they use an article before their name. That's not up to me. There's always the DC version of a Marvel guy. Right? Yeah, like Flash they, and Quicksilver. Right, they call that subatomic. And so the Adam's first name is is Sub. He's a sub, and the dominant is um, Giant Man. <laughs> I hate my life. Okay, the backup tagline is: Wait, this isn't a prequel to Man from Uncle. All right, all right, I'll take that tagline. I don't oh, understand yeah. that one either, but I'll take it. No, Ant Man, Man from Uncle. Man from oh, Uncle is it too. Aunt? Right, right. Very, you know what, Kelly? One that was awesome. You, got the, you thought the other one was a were? <laughs> never mind. No, I'm a no. Adam, I, Adam, right? I fully grant I'm a tool for not getting the second one. The second one is good. I like that one. Very good. It's because I had eight words in your mind already from the other. Oh, one. that was that was another trailer. There's a trailer for a Man for Uncle movie. What the what? Right. Oh, Diggis is just now finding out about Matthew Vaughn's latest movie. I didn't know about that. It's, it's got, uh, what's his name from The Daily Show in it? John Stewart? Who? No, or from uh, The Office or whatever. Michael, the, or uh, uh, Steve Carell? Ed. Um, Rain Wilson? Never mind. Ed Helms. Ed Helms. Isn't Ed Helms in it? In Man from Uncle? Maybe I not. That's All right. I stopped watching. I like that you think that. I think Dingus is thinking of We're the Millers. <laughs> <laughs> he stopped. That's not Ed Helms. Oh, yeah, he is. Yeah, it is. Or Hangover 3. Dingus might be thinking of Hangover 3 or Cedar Rapids. Is Ed Helms in Men from Uncle or not? Well, you know what, Dingus? We'll find out when we see it. I guess we I'm will. I'm going to look. Yeah, anyway, you uh, asked me earlier what trailers played during um, before my viewing of um, Ant Man, and uh, and I and I remembered the uh, finest hours, but I did not remember Man from Uncle. So. I got Man from Uncle and I got Mission Impossible, so it's like two spy movie previews. And I will then, tell you uh, what, do, do you, uh, amongst uh, the things that you've got, is there an IMDb synopsis? Yeah, you have to figure out why I picked this one. That's okay. the fun thing about okay. it. The only fun thing about mm-hmm. it. After his successful nightclub is blown to flaming bits, blank... I have to leave that word out. Oh, because that would give it away. Okay, go on. Oh, uh, 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 is it is it the sequel to Casablanca? <laughs> That's wow. what you think happens in the sequel? I don't they know. blow up the Nazis. They blow up Rick's, yeah. It's a successful nightclub. Oh, when, I think, when I think of successful nightclubs, I go straight to Rick's. That's what that's where my mind. Oh, Rick's was was an unsuccessful nightclub because he keeps giving money away doing the noble thing. Right, good point. Blank and his band travel across the moon looking for clues as to who is behind the arson. 
Something blew up on the moon, and, and it's a huge crime. I don't think that's even possible. Along with Bruto and Dina, Pluto... Oh, I fucking said it. No. You, don't, you just gave it away. Uh, maybe Tom didn't... Pluto Nash. I just yeah, heard the word uh, Pluto, and... Oh, it, it is Pluto Nash? Of course. But why would he, he just, choose... Uh, why would he choose he Pluto Nash? Because Eddie Murphy uh, shrunk down in another movie, I think. Oh, did he? Oh, it's the smallest planet... Like Ant Man, and then last week they did like a Pluto flyby. Yeah, so it turns out Pluto's not the smallest planet. Well, look, it's not Pluto. A, Nash is the smallest movie because it's, it's not a movie. It's also it's the a, moon. It's a dwarf movie. All right, uh, so Dingus, why don't you tell folks what we saw this week? All right, well, this week we saw Ant Dash Man, a 2015 American action sci-fi superhero Marvel Cinematic Universe movie about what's going on elsewhere while the Avengers are dropping cities out of the sky. It was directed by Peyton Reed and written by Edgar Wright, Ampersand, Joe Cornish, and Adam McKay, Ampersand, Paul Rudd, based on comic books by Stan Lee, Jerry Lever, and Jack Kirby. It stars Paul Rudd, Evangeline Lilly, Judy Greer, Corey Stoll, Michael Pena, and Michael Douglas. Ant-Man is rated PG-13 for sci-fi action violence. Uh, Ant-Man opened at number one. It made $58 million, pretty much what they expected wow. it to do. Um, no, no wow. It's just as expected. Um, well, Terminator was 27, I remember. So that means Ant-Man will get a 58 on Rotten Tomatoes. Terminator was not a Marvel. It didn't have the Marvel franchise behind it, Kelly Wand. I think that uh, the expectations were quite a bit lower for that. Uh, uh, critically, Ant-Man is sitting at 64 on Metacritic, which is the huh. average uh, rating amongst various reviews. Uh, on Rotten Tomatoes, 79% of the reviews of Ant-Man are positive. Kelly Wand, for those that have seen Ant-Man, perhaps you could elaborate on the events of the movie and give us an Ant-Manopsis. I don't know what you would call a synopsis of Ant-Man, but that's my guess. Was I close? You did so good last week. That's your hint that you didn't get it right. Uh, well, what there's would only you... two ways to go. So. Oh, yeah, go ahead. So what would you call a synopsis of Ant-Man? Ant-Mopsis. Ant-Mopsis. Well, why don't you give it to us? Rock and roll. Lloyd Bridges plays Colonel Sanders, a billionaire scientist in the Marvel Universe who makes superhero suits and isn't Tony Stark. The guy from Opposite of Sex makes a joke about his wife getting turned into infinity, so Lloyd uses a desk on his nose. Lloyd's daughter's Melody Griffith. She got him fired from his company and sold it to Hydra, but now she lives in his house and knows martial arts. Although for some reason he's not mad at her for this, she's mad at him because he told her that her mom died in a plane crash because he wanted to spare the trauma of finding out it was actually a missile crash. <laughs> Would have been wit. He's trying to protect her from finding that out. The bald guy from House of Cards, who was Hemingway in Midnight in Paris, used to be Lloyd Bridges' evil assistant, but now he owns the company even though he can't shrink stuff yet without turning it into jelly. He never tries to shrink actual jelly. Paul Rudd's been in prison for a couple haircuts for robbing a multi-billion dollar corporation and giving the money to poor people the corporation legally stole it from. 
His specialties are hacking, turning safes into ice cream, and climbing. As a present for getting out of prison, his black friend punches him in the face with a hug. His Mexican friend drives him in a van. He moves in with the Mexican, another black friend, and a Russian version of Jay Baruchel. (laughs) They all live together and plan crimes. They call themselves the Wombats because the Wombat is nature's criminal mastermind. (laughs) Paul Rudd has a daughter with dental issues. His ex-wife's Leslie Mann and the Italian man from Win-Win lives at a birthday party. IMDb's really influenced how I write these a little bit. I do hear it, yes, seeping through your style. Yeah, definitely. I'm worried that it's not intentional and I'm just stuck like this. Much like Ant-Man gets stuck. Never mind. Paul Rudd gets fired from 31 Flavors for heroism, but his mango smoothie lasts him halfway through a crosswalk. Since it's all he can afford, he gets his daughter a possessed rabbit, also with dental problems, for her birthday. Leslie Mann tells him he can't see their daughter again till he gets an apartment with white roommates, because that's what fatherhood is. Due to this, he sits in a car and writes, 371 days till I get to stop seeing whatever my daughter's name is, on a garbage bag. Leslie Mann also tells him he can't see her. Oh, I think she means the daughter, though. Unless he gets a job and stops robbing people. So he plans a heist ASAP. His Mexican friend tells him some boobs told him an old man has a safe. The black friend in the Barrichell's jobs to sit in a van while he climbs and ask, ask him how it's going. Did you hear that horn? I did. I assumed that was a sound effect that you played. That's a German horn. No, my sound effects are inaudible, Tom. You know All right, that. good point. The Mexican friend's job is to sit in the driver's seat of the van while it's parked. Paul Rudd tricks the building's front door by going in through a window, then makes a fingerprint by freebasing a shrinky dink in a saucepan, but the safe's <laughs> made out of metal from the 1910s, so he has to unlock it by pouring water on it. <laughs> Dingus likes this. Oh, I like the shrink. Script. I mean, this I like is... the shrinky dink. Tom sounds furious, no, but he no, didn't no. bake it. You have to bake a shrinky dink. To be fair, yeah. See, or Tom doesn't know what a shrinky dink is. I mean, you could saute or bake a shrinky dink, right? You can't saute. He, he grilled the shrinky dink. <laughs> you, can, you can saute or bake a shrinky dink. Tom, I love that. You've been watching the wrong cooking shows where it's a reality show contest. Look, you're applying heat is a dime a dozen. You apply heat one way. I mean, as long as you heat it up one way. Dingus cooks. He knows this stuff. As long as you make something hot, you, you've done what you need to do. A million circumference is a million degrees. Duh. That's how you say it. <laughs> that came out wrong. Inside, instead of money, there's a gimp suit with red buttons on it. Instead of pushing the buttons, he takes the suit home and gets in the bathtub first. It, it makes him small. <laughs> Why do you do that? It makes him small. Instead of hitting the buttons again, which would be the first thing I'd do, his friends decide to take a bath together, so Paul Rudd falls into a nightclub built above a vacuum cleaner with a rat. Then he falls a hundred stories onto a taxicab roof. There's like a nightclub, and it's like midnight at a nightclub, and everybody's dancing. But it's like he was doing that in the morning. I thought that was his uh, his neighbor's apartment. 
Yeah, and then there's another neighbor vacuuming under the nightclub. Well, if there's a bunch of noise like that coming down from above, you might as well get some vacuuming done at that point. Yeah, Yeah, that's a good point, I think. Luckily, none of this kills him because he's too small for his spine to hurt. The taxi driver's not interested. Lloyd Bridges talks to his head while he falls and goes, Hello, Mr. Rudd, I planned all this. I call it the vacuum cleaning nightclub rat test. That's Michael Douglas. Really? Wow, that's wow. Okay. interesting interpretation, Kelly Wand. He's too hard to do. He's too yeah. guttural. But you're not ready for the exposition and pajama phase yet. First, you got to break out of jail. Lloyd Bridges come to visit Paul Rudd in prison and convinces the Italian police chief he's a lawyer by putting ants on his camera. <laughs> no, in- cop. <laughs> no embellishment whatsoever, by the way. So. <laughs> Straight up as it happened. <laughs> yeah, it is. The movie writes itself. Good thing the cops don't know what billionaire celebrity scientists look like or check their credentials. Lloyd sends some ants to Paul Rudd's prison cell to do some math. Paul Rudd puts the suit on off screen because it's faster. A bunch of stuff while Paul Rudd says, Whoa! And what the? And yeah! Happens. <laughs> like half an hour eventually he falls asleep while falling from a great height <laughs> to keep Paul Rudd <laughs> Tom this is from the movie I believe you'll agree oh, yeah. Yeah. To, to keep Paul Rudd from getting out of bed Melanie Griffith surrounds the bed with ants so he'd have to step on the ants to walk around then tells him they need him to walk around and meet them downstairs and to please try to avoid stepping on the ants <laughs> like instantly <laughs> the ants grudgingly get out of his way when he apologetically asks them to move, but it's clear they resent it. <laughs> Asshole. It's clear they resent it. <laughs> now, so far, this is about the only time, Kelly One, that you have sort of surfaced what is otherwise subtext. But so far, everything else is straight up presentation of the events. Yeah. Right. Subtext? <laughs> Yes, you're subtexting it. Yeah, well, the, the ant resentment isn't necessarily like that. That uh, that's Kelly Wan joke. <laughs> Once you go into subtext, uh, Kelly Wan, everything you've ever written, everything you've ever thought, every idea you've ever had is going to cease to make exactly. any sense to you for all time. Yep. Unless I have a spirit. Oh, never mind. I want to yeah. that. Yeah, use your little uh, embiggen shuriken in your regulator, and then you'll be fine. <laughs> Seems dumb of the wife to not have brought an extra one, doesn't it? Michael Douglas saw Too soon. Too soon. Uh, Paul Rudd goes to a kitchen with Lloyd Bridges in it, and Lloyd tells him that Paul's bathtub, nightclub, and safe moistening skills have earned him the right to get beaten up by his daughter and break into a corporation to steal some CG while the bald guy's helicopter takes off. That was the plan, right? Again, no embellishment. Absolutely. Nope. That's what I saw. But to do that, he first has to steal another CG from a black man named after the scientist in War Games. Oh, nice. See? I like that. I like that a lot. Very good. Tom's all Way too obscure for me. I I saw Matthew Broderick in another movie this weekend, but uh, there was no War Game. There was a War Game reference. There's a Matthew Uh, Broderick cameo in Trainwreck. Matthew Broderick does a similar shrinky-dink trick to uh, hack a phone, if you recall, in War Games. I don't. Mm, no, he uses a pull tab. He sautés a paperclip. 
man, a pull tab? He uses a pull tab? Like, yeah. the things that don't exist anymore. Right, he right. goes he goes in the gravel. And he, well, he's using a, a he's using a payphone. So yeah. also things that wow. Yeah. Neither does Nora. Just, uh, hold that thought for the three by three for next week. Spoiler. Right. Thank you. Uh, I don't remember the tagline for war games. It's no, for, for next week's. Next week. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Always know where to find the password. Uh, steal from a black man. Paul Rudd says fine. Paul Rudd beats the black man by getting into his clothes. Lloyd Bridges gets worried when the bald assistant comes to the house and observes that his door was unlocked. The bald guy wants Melanie Griffith and Lloyd Bridges to watch him make a business deal in a suit, so now they need Paul Rudd to still do the same thing he was going to do, but now it's more complicated. Paul Rudd tells them his three friends can sit in a van while he does it. Nobody's ever mind. The Mexican one, they can dress as a guard to punch people. And also, a waterman can't be affected by the plot except by them. The morning of the business deal dawns and becomes nighttime, and the bald assistant tricks them all by pulling out a gun and Paul Rudd being inside some glass. Paul Rudd remembers he has CG he can throw, so everyone runs away. Lloyd Bridges makes a tank out of his keychain, fly, and then do nothing. He doesn't shoot the tank. Could have just gotten a fucking mech. Paul Rudd fights the bald man's poorly aimed lasers in an office, on a helipad, in a helicopter, in a briefcase, in the air, in a pool, in a living room, on a train set, in a bug zapper, and in his daughter's teeth. But every time it's a draw till Paul Rudd tricks molecules by twisting a knob that lets him get into clothes again, only this time fatally, because the bald man's clothes molecules are denser than the black man's were. Paul Rudd's smallness makes the bald man's arm disappear, so their fight's over. <laughs> Teaches kids science. You can saute a shaky dig, disappear an arm, twist a knob. Paul Rudd becomes the size of CG and falls asleep, but then remembers he has a spare record album that makes him big again. The bad guys all die and then get arrested. Paul Rudd and the cop she prefers having sex with all watch a phone video of the daughter doing a cartwheel, since she can't do one right then. (laughs) (laughs) On carpet. It's dinner time. This is time for watching videos. Actual acrobatics. And the Mexican guy tells him the Avengers want him to come get into the Falcon's clothes again. Some words tell us the name of the movie. Then Lloyd Bridges shows Melanie Griffith some CG with boobs on it and goes, uh, Your mother wanted one of us to wear this. I guess you. Melanie Griffith's all, Now that the movie's over? Some words tell us who made the CG. Then Captain America and his black friends stare at Bucky's arm and go, Yeah, fuck Iron Man. The black man's all, hey, what about the person this movie was about? The nerds all around me screech delightedly like barnyard animals in heat. Some more words are all, guest starring Stan Lee as sassy waitress number three. The end. All right. Thank you, Kelly Wan. Did you see both those Easter eggs? So the only reason I, well, yeah, I did. I stayed for them. Yep. The last one that was good was the when it, I saw Thor's hammer. That's the last time I recognized 
something in the Easter egg and felt, oh, yeah, cool. Thor's going to be in the movie in another one. And then since then, every one of them has been so obscure. I, like, I have, I have to look online and go, oh, there's a Cosmic Cube. Okay. Well, my, my first thought is, you know, these aren't for me, but I think they want us to, like, look them up and discuss what they're about and have nerds tell us. And Yeah. How? Yeah, I mean, I think they're just they're they're just baiting us to look more into the mythos, and I whatever. They're masturbating us. I, I love that Tom said, "Yeah, I stayed for them." Yeah, I checked it out. What I don't like is when they are. Um, there was it, in one of the movies, it was a straight up just a trailer for Avengers. Yeah, um, well, that's and I, I don't I don't like it when they're giving away spoilers, and I and I don't want to have to get to a point, and I know I'm crazy paranoid about spoilers we don't want to watch the ends of these movies because i like staying through the credits like the end of the avengers it's just this cute scene where they're eating it's not that big of a deal it doesn't give anything away for oh that was the last one i liked it's a payoff it's a comic payoff um i don't really like it when they're giving away scenes from later movies i I don't think it's a scene for yeah after looking into it i don't think it's a scene for another movie um Oh, I thought well, it was something about Civil War. All right. Well, I think it's a, it's just a teaser about, you know, hey, why Ant-Man is going to be in Civil War. And I only know this because I looked it up. And, and, and the reason I said it that way is I, I don't I, I don't think that there's any secret about this, but I really didn't care for this movie. And I didn't really care whatever button it was going to do. Uh, I just wanted to leave. But I did a double feature. I was seeing another movie after this. So because I was going to another movie... I just stuck around and watched it, but I otherwise just would have left. I didn't really care to see what teaser thing they wanted to do. So, all right, so just going around the table, not into this, not the least little bit. Uh, this had a lot of things that I don't really like in movies, so I, I'm not that surprised I didn't like it. Uh, Kelly Wan, what did you think of Ant-Man? Uh, I did like it. I thought it was funny. Okay. I it made no sense at all, but I thought Paul Rudd was super cute in it. and he. I think without him it would have sucked and been really boring, but I thought he he made it watchable. And it was definitely a comedy, which is one of the things that I yeah. was a little taken aback at. I, 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 maybe I don't know if I wasn't expecting that. I, I should have known because it was an, obviously an Edgar Wright joint, uh, yeah. and it was directed by Peyton Reed. But yeah, you know, Breakup isn't really a comedy, and uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're right, Dingus. That, that should have been a, a dead giveaway too. Uh, all right, so Dingus, uh, break the tie. Is this podcast going to be overall pro or anti Ant Man? Oh man, I love this thing. I really loved, this thing. Thing. I really loved it. Yeah. All right. All right, you guys get to talk about why you liked it. I'm just going to sit here and and shake my head at at the two of you. You're not just going to shake your head. You're going to tell us what you didn't like about it because it'll be boring for people. Uh, I don't don't think think the the whole Edgar Wright, Joe Cornish um, oeuvre, like their their sense of humor, the stuff that they think is funny, I don't think it works for me. And I think there's a lot of leftover – I mean they're they're co-credited with the, the screenplay, and Edgar Wright was originally directing it. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, he and Disney parted ways, which I think is shorthand for he got fired. Um, uh, so I, I, I'm not a fan. Uh, well, I'm not a I'm not a fan of the whole corner. You know, there's like the is it the corner? The, what do they call the trilogy? Not the Cornish trilogy. What is it called? The, the Cornish Civil War trilogy? No, no. The uh, ice cream truck, the ice cream cone. Oh, uh, yeah, like whatever, the whatever they call it. I, I'm not a fan of that sense of humor. You don't like Shaun of the Dead. I like Shaun of the Dead as a zombie movie, oddly enough, but the comedy stuff, I could take or leave. Like, I don't really enjoy it so much as a comedy. Uh, and I hated, just hated that last thing they did about the tavern at the end of the world or whatever that was. Um, yeah, I like that one either. So so it's got that going against it for me. Um, I didn't get it. I don't understand. I don't know anything about Ant-Man. I mean, there's no fan service that, that works for me, and I feel like there was plenty of that in here. 
um, even though it, I don't think it made it inaccessible, but I think a, a fan of that that little patch of the Marvel Universe would really enjoy this. I'm not one of those guys. Uh, and I think ultimately what it comes down to, what I kind of sadly realized as I was watching this and just really bored, I don't think I like the Marvel Universe. <laughs> it's so much better than the DC one, dude. Although well, they, I don't, they I don't watered really, it down. I mean, I don't really care for them as universes one way or the other, but I really do like the the sort of psychological aspects of Batman that are explored you know, I like the Greek tragedy element of Dark Knight. Batman Begins and Dark Knight Returns I couldn't care less about. Um, there's a Batman game that just came out called uh, Arkham Knight, um, and I really, really enjoyed it. It does this cool kind of fight club thing throughout the game, uh, and I really enjoyed that element of it. So even though I don't care about DC stuff per se, like Superman, whatever, I do like Batman. Um, I like the Avengers for the, for Joss Whedon's skill at it, the first movie. Um but overall, and I've sort of parted ways with you guys before, like, Dingus, I know you're hugely fond of uh, Captain America 3. I liked the novelty <laughs> of the first one. What? It's just two. two. Winter Soldier is two. Oh, my I God. Like I can't have I like totally lost That's right. It felt like two whole separate movies that I didn't like. Um, but you're right. Like, I liked the novelty of the first one. I didn't care for the second one, and I know you guys liked it more than I did. So I, I just think that unless there's something – like like the the Joss Whedonness of it, or the novelty of having one set in World War II. I just don't think I like Marvel superhero you know stuff. The, the comic universe is actually really rich and fertile, and they've kind of the movies sort of water it down. And I think it it buys a lot of goodwill towards me because I remember from the eighties reading Avengers and like right, right, right. Wasp and and Henry Pym was her husband. And he was like abusive to her, and then he gets tricked by this guy named Egghead. It's this huge tragedy where he gets framed for a bunch of stuff he didn't do and then dies. Yeah, but I don't have I don't have any of that. Like I don't have any of that in my background. So right, right. But I thought Ant Man's powers are so weird and they're so unusual. Like they're it's sort of hard to even explain what he really can do. That I thought that I can explain. That kind of made it. He shrinks and he talks to ants. I mean, right. yeah, but that's interesting. <laughs> that's, that's, that's you don't, you don't have to shrink to talk to ants. Right. I mean, they're two separate powers. He's got two superpowers. Yeah. Um, yeah, that to me makes it interesting. Like that's like Marvel because most of their superheroes actually have stuff where you see the applications of it, and Ant Man's like one of their. Well, weird... I, I then we'll go with this, and then it's you guys' turn. Uh, I don't think the movie made very good use of what I thought were could have been. Like if so, if you would describe to me, hey Tom, do you want to see a movie about a guy who can shrink and he can command ants at will? I would be like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Show me that. Uh, nothing that the movie showed me, I, I felt was done very well. Uh, like technically, sure, I liked some of the, a couple of the sequences, and I loved the idea of it. But I, I didn't, uh, you know, I, I didn't feel that these powers were realized in, in a, in a way that, that really pulled me in. So, I thought the 3D was trippy, and uh-huh, you uh, saw it in 3D. Um, yeah, I didn't want well, to have a choice, <laughs> but um, I thought that he makes, I don't know, they did over rely on him switching sizes a lot. But then by the end, it's kind of funny. Oh, and then finally, one more thing, and then I swear, you guys need to take over here. Uh, terrible use of Paul Rudd, I thought. Like, I, I really liked the guy. I wanted to see him anchoring a, a superhero movie, and I thought it kind of edged him out. Like, it didn't really take advantage of what he does best. So so much of the movie, he's got a freaking mask over his face. He's just CG. Um, every now and then, he gets a little funny line in, but way too much of this, like, this nonsense stuff with like michael douglas's character and 
and his daughter and his wife and and the evil bad guy and and, and Hydra and Shield. It, 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 Give us more Paul Rudd, I thought. It was weird to me that Michael Douglas and Paul Rudd were both in a superhero movie. And Michael Douglas is in this movie a lot. He is, and isn't he? I thought he was just going to be good. like get killed early on or right. something, like be the Uncle Ben of it. Um, yeah, there's, and they set that up a bunch of times, you think. And right. then, yeah, and then Corey Stoll's in it quite a bit. I mean, he's and he's playing kind of the more thankless, obvious, usual... I didn't understand his plan either. Like, all right, you know what? Enough for me. Dingus, get in here because you obviously were super fond of it. Kelly, of course, loves his comic book stuff. Yeah. Uh, what What worked about it for you, Dingus? What, what did you like about this? Thing? What, what made you really love it? Well, I'm so happy I didn't know anything about the Ant Man. I mean, Kelly, wanted to talk about uh, a little bit about uh, the different things that go on in the comic books with Ant Man. Yeah. Wasp was and the hottest. What did you say? The Wasp was the sexiest of the superheroes. I felt like I. I think I stroked it to the Wasp a few times. The, oh, the Wasp. I, I thought you said the Lost. The Lost. So the she's Wasp. She's on Lost, too. How is she uh, hot? She's just, she looks just like Ant-Man, but... but no, I'm in the comics. Wings. Oh, oh. Because we see the one scene where she's on the Russian missile, and I was like, oh, it's the same suit. She yeah, looks just like him. Yeah, you shit what she looks like. But you're spo- and I guess you're supposed to see her in the subatomic eternity. But she's like a... She had a fling with Iron Man in the comics, Tom. Does that make you like her at all? Whatever. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> And so I, when I, you know, I talked to my kid tonight because he went to see it today too. I couldn't see it with him, sadly. But, uh, but he was talking, he was saying, Dad, you know, Ant-Man is a really complicated character and I'm not talking about the movie. <laughs> and he, and he started talking about some of the mythology of the comic book stuff, which I don't even get. I don't get any of it. Like Dr. Hank Pym was the original dude and then, uh, Scott, Logan, whatever his name is, gets it handed off to him, or he finds the suit, or whatever happens. And but it, but I'm just understanding that that while it's called Ant Man, it's a super complicated character, and uh, I, I didn't get any of that going in. I don't know. I don't know this universe. I, um, let me move the word universe out of Marvel universe into comic book universe. I just I don't know anything. I didn't know a thing about Ant Man other than his name is Ant Man. Um, and I totally disagree with Tom about how Paul Rudd was used because I, I don't have, but part of it is that I don't have, you know, and I think Tom has mentioned a few times about how masks don't work for him in movies in, in certain situations. And I understand that, but I think that the way they set this up as far as Paul, Paul Rudd's, uh, sensibility, some of his sense of humor, using it appropriately, not overusing it, being silly in just the right amount of places, and still teaching him to be sort of this badass over time as he as he learns to use his talents, I thought was really cool. Now, I yeah. I agree with with you that that once he shrinks down and he starts to do stuff, it's really a lot of punching, kicking, and and jumping on things. Whereas one of the things I loved about his character early on is that he claims to be a cat burglar. Why 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 does Lewis Luis want him to be on this crew. He's, I thought he was the hacker because of the stuff he stole, but it turns out that, that, that other dude, Kyle, is the hacker. Uh, what is he? Oh, he's a cat burglar. Oh, it's probably a delusion, a Paul Rudd delusion, but it turns out he's really good at it. He, he does that whole pork thing over the, over the thing, and he goes up the wall, and he disarms the and he, go, and he does that boiling out the fingerprint. I love the way all of that was done, and that it turns out the reveal is that he is a really great cat burglar. I kind of wish they would have done more of that with him as Ant Man, um, as the actual character. Because I got from that thing, it's like I, I still don't understand why they needed just him. Like you could have gotten 
you know, they, they made a big to do about he's the only guy we can get for this. I, considering what he actually ends up doing, I think they could have gotten anyone. Like I didn't, I didn't think there was enough hard. payoff for why this one guy was uniquely appealing to their scheme. Uh, like, what, it, like what did he do to use? You're right about you know using the, the shrinky dink and using the nitrogen. That's a cool setup. But this guy really knows how to think on his feet and improvise and, and do these super cool like cat burglar tricks. Um, I kind of really felt let down by once they start doing the actual heist. We didn't really see any of that, did we? No. Yeah. Sadly, didn't. No, you you see, but you, you're. I guess you're supposed to extrapolate from him learning the the Zen of controlling the ants that that is part of his skill set. Uh, I, I think right. that is uh, that is sort of a disappointment for me because I would have liked to see him use his cat burglar skills as right. his Ant Man character, okay. even on even on a computer or subatomic level, you know yeah. something that because those that that reveal about his skills as a cat burglar was really really exciting right. to me. But but I also like that kind of like that heist thing where he finds the safe. He knows what safe it is. He knows what to do, and he finds the fingerprint. And it's ridiculous when he makes the fingerprint thing in that amount of time. I love that. Now, am I, am I wrong in that he he gets in? You know, they they do the elaborate plot. He gets in and he's about to steal the yellow jacket suit. The bad guy has known all along, anticipated yeah. this. Like yeah. the heist, basically, <laughs> all the work they've done. It's just like Michael <laughs> Douglas set up for him to get in and steal the suit. He thought he was getting in and outsmarting Michael Douglas. It was kind of a test, but Michael Douglas was one step ahead of him the whole time. Am I mistaken that the bad guy was one step ahead of them the yeah. whole time too? I mean, you're not. Mistaken. No, no, you're not. You're not mistaken. So they suck. They're terrible superheroes, right? Except that they beat him in the end because they are pure of spirit and they're better. Right. Oh well, they well they remembered to yeah. So he gets out by just throwing the embiggen shuriken, right? Like that's the thing. Like or he twice, still predict that would happen, right? Twice that's a, a there's like a, a Deus Ex Machina yeah. with that little embiggen. Uh, missile thing that he throws right 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 like that's what saves them so okay see so they're one step ahead of him they're one deus ex machina ahead of him that's true too because it also gets him out of the sub you know he made his suit out of titanium so that ant-man couldn't get in there but he goes subatomic and then gets out of it with the thing yeah here's the thing it's like these all these marvel origin story movies are exactly the same and i think by that point i'm so used to the same shit that that's boring you to death that i'm just right. like yeah yeah and then he just throws this like i don't even care anymore but like an example of like how i thought paul red was well used uh-huh. it, it, i agree it, it's like something he did that i for as an example is like when evangeline Lilly and he are fighting and then he hurts her and she's all oh and then it seems like in every other marvel movie or any other movie the guy would come over and go, oh, are you okay? And then she beats him up. And, like, she's obviously just playing possum. But Paul Rudd goes over and goes, oh, did you hurt? Like, he's kind of, like, taunting her. And then plays out the exact same way, of course. But, like, right. he at least Paul Reddit it a little bit. But the, there is there is another thing that's really, I think, really great about this movie in, in sort of a silly way, is that the, the evil dude... Um, turns out to have a motivation he lies about his motivation in a hans gruber way and i like about that because i'm getting tired of seeing avengers movies and these this level of movie which you've seen before where where the the evil's idea is we're just going to make a bigger weapon in order to eradicate something to make peace we're going to make more weapons to make peace and this guy lies about doing that 
he has this whole quote of a sustainable environment for well-being all around the world. And it turns out all he wants to do is sell his weapon. And I, and I kind of liked that he was almost this sort of Hans Gruber character in this universe rather than, than Ultron who wants to eradicate everything in order to create right. peace. Which also made it weird for me. Why did uh, Paul Rudd think they should call in the Avengers? Like, what? I didn't understand how this was for a plot. They did that for me. Right, right, because the, the dingus uh, paradox. That, yeah, but but I don't understand though. The bad guy's plot just seemed to me, you know, they've made a weapon. The bad guy wants to sell it to the highest bidder. Michael Douglas doesn't want it sold, so he's going to steal it away. Right, like that was the whole thing. Is that this guy just wants to sell weapons to Hydra? Right. But it's not just that, and they don't. I mean, Hydra is kind of a reveal. It's 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 Doctor Hank Pym wanting to keep this. He's he spent his life. I mean, Stark. Is it Howard Stark who's the father? He's in that first yeah. scene, so he's been trying to keep this technology out of Stark's hands for his entire life, basically. Right. I mean, since 1989, and that in 1989, Howard Stark's like, I don't want that, and and that's part of the. I mean, part of it is a joke. Why don't we call the Avengers, which is a call? I, I mean, I'm sure they've listened to me complain about this before. Why don't they just call the Avengers when these types of things happen? Um, and I love that they just dealt with it, but then they also justified it when Hank Pym says, I've been trying to keep this away from him, from Stark in particular, for so many years, uh, and, and that's why this is important to me. We can't call the Avengers. This isn't just a silly suit like Iron Man wears. This is not, and they're probably off dropping a city, which is another joke, but I, I do love that they justified that. And by the way, haven't they also completely failed in that the implication at the end of the movie is that he is going to become part of the Avengers, right? Like, isn't that the yeah. whole thing? Is that now he's with the Avengers, right? Well, I don't think that's a failure. I think that that's him keeping the technology to himself, but he's now a hero. He's now a superhero. He's not hidden anymore because they've saved the world from oh. this particular threat. Right, right. But, but won't Tony Stark now have access to this technology? Well, no, because given, I, I guess, the spoiler of the, of the final scene. Oh, oh, oh. Now that, okay, I see. Because it's a civil war now. Okay, fair enough. But if we didn't know that, it seems like Michael Douglas' whole thing about keep this away from Tony Stark, the, the big reveal at the end of the movie is, hey, he gets to be an Avenger, therefore he's now – I mean, like we should trust as an audience that Tony Stark is a good guy. I guess well, Michael I Douglas made Ultron. doesn't really know that yet. Tony Stark made Ultron, though. He got dumber. He can't be trusted. Right, but I, I guess the, the point is that, that Michael Douglas just didn't trust Tony Stark as much as we as an audience do. Well, he didn't I, trust Howard Stark. He didn't trust the Stark Corporation right, at right, all, right, right. and for good reason, as it turns out. But, but he knows they saved New York City, right? Gosh, he should trust him by now. Yeah, but they dropped Slovakia. <laughs> That's true. They did mess up that little town. They got a guy who swings. They got a guy who jumps, Tom. All right, talk to me about the uh, action sequences and the, the, uh, the, the shrinky bits and stuff like that. How, how well did that work for you? Because I, again... Just a lot of CG stuff that looked cool when you first see it, but ultimately I didn't really like the action bits. Well, actually, I actually want to hear you because you said I liked a couple of the sequences. I, I liked the reveal, like when you see in that little uh, that when he gets that trial run where he puts the suit on in the bathtub, uh, and you see how they're going to start shooting this idea of something really tiny, you know, with a long depth of or uh, was a short depth of focus where everything looks like it's really distant, uh, everything looks oversized. Um, so I like that first sequence when he's moving through different apartments, um, and I loved – I wish there had been just 
other scenes half this clever. I love the idea of them being closed up in a briefcase and accidentally having Siri play a soundtrack from a smartphone. <laughs> By so, the way, did they actually ever play that Cure song? Because I didn't see it in the final songs. I would not know that Cure song. I assumed that's what was playing. but I, I assumed it was too, but I didn't see it listed. And I was I don't know the Cure well enough, but I thought that was a great joke. Right, yeah. So I, I liked that bit, just the bit in the briefcase, because you're like Kelly made fun of. Once he's just shooting lasers around, I, I just was like... Never hits him. Never hits him, and what, are these lasers supposed to be effective? Is it, well, it's, yeah, I... So, and just so, like, for me, if, if you're going to do CG, and, and fine, CG has its place, um, but just people, this was a lot of, like, people punching themselves, to you know, <laughs> pretending to get punched by the, the midair, uh, and then get he pops... He pops in and out with CG every now every now and then. But I kind of feel like if you're going to use CG, either do it to duplicate something that's supposed to be reality uh, that you can't pull off with, with practical effects or create some sort of a sense of wonder, you know, with just big old huge dinosaurs. Uh, as much as I didn't like Jurassic World, I loved seeing uh, um, uh, Bryce Dallas Howard, uh, you know, calling out the big T-Rex at the end. Like, you know, a bit. <laughs> Who doesn't enjoy a big old CG T-Rex, even if you're not into the movie? Um, T-Rex. Yeah, so, so show me something spectacular. Don't just use the CG to cheat something, like a fight scene or a goofy shrinking <clears throat> superpower. Um, no, it's supposed to be funny. It's Falcon going acting like he's got an itch. I mean, I guess, yeah. I mean, I, I Although then he does it again, that. like he does the same... That's the thing. There's a lot of repeats in the in Ant-Man. And just the CG stuff. Like, I can't help but think, and I'm not saying practical effects are better than CG, because you can do great things with CG, but I couldn't help but watch this stuff with the ants and think of this amazing, and this would have been like, what, like 82 or something? This amazing practical effects fight sequence between ants and a praying mantis in the movie Phase 4, where the ants short-circuit circuitry to, to shut down a, a cooling unit. Um... And you know it's it's amazing what they phenomenal what they did with actual real macro photography of bugs, uh, and in this it's just like, you know it's when when Peter Jackson just throws CG at a scene and it's got brontosaurus rolling all over the place or something, like in King Kong, um, so I, that's part of just why I didn't enjoy the action. Uh, I was bummed you only had one ant friend and that ant looked exactly like all the other ants, but I guess that's the thing about ants is they all kind of look right, alike. right. Yeah, and it, it got killed, though. Poor uh, Anthony died. We don't know yeah, that. He just oh. got one of his wings shot off. Mm. Yeah, he's an ant with wings, Tom. He's a fly. I think he's dead, Dingus. Come and I think, I think we have to start referring to them as her. When he says, uh, good boy, I mean, let's be honest. It, that's yeah. a her. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but all right, so, so did the CG work for you guys? Explain why you liked these action sequences. Uh, I smoked a lot of hash. And saw a subatomic world in 3D near the end of this, and I was also drunk too. So I liked that. Although I would have preferred the fight going on into the subatomic realm, mm-hmm. like inner space kind of. Um, I was expecting I, something trippier, or yeah, like it was. It was just kaleidoscope effects. I kind of was like, oh. And also, he's not in there long, and nothing happens. He goes, oh yeah, and it just leaves. Um, well, as I kind of liked the drama of him actually having to be stuck there, and that's the ending. I don't know. That would have been more of a, a twisty. I know I'm in a Marvel movie. That's the thing. I, like, forgive it the mask that you, that you hate, because I go, well, it's a superhero movie, but I get to see Paul Rudd's face for about half of it saying funny shit, so I kind of, like, mm-hmm. give it a free pass, but mm-hmm. then... 
just keep it, it. They do follow the same pattern all these movies, and it, it's a little grindy in a wild star way. Well, I, lo- I love the action in this. I, I absolutely loved it. I think the use of miniatures, whatever, whether they're uh, practical or not, um, is phenomenal. I, I think that the visuals in this are amazing. Um, and I, I would start with with that silly scene in the little girl's room, and with the way that the zapping back and forth between uh, the sizes and what the toys mean and sound like, as well as what kind of the ants mean and sound like. I mean, the way the ants sound is like a herd of horses when he's at a certain level. The way they sound when you're not is like little nanobots or something. And that la- and that scene with with the train engine going around and around. And by the way, I love that the little girl has a, has a train running around her room. I think that's really cool. Um, and I love the way they, they zap back and forth in sizes because one of the themes that they're talking about early on is not themes, but one of the things that he has to learn is you have to be able to go from big to small to big really, really quickly. You have to be able to do this really quickly. And then the movie does that in that scene where he, where somebody throws a train and it's a train piece and it's like, Oh no. And then it sounds like Click, clatter, click. I love that joke. And then finally, when he he embiggens the the Thomas the Train tank engine thing, and it stays big and it lands on the cop car. I love that joke, and I love that that back and forth in that train sequence. I thought it was really, really smart and really great. I love that stuff. I liked the bug zapper sound as he gets thrown into that, and then I was bummed that wasn't the final fight. And then, because then he has to go to the daughter's house and then not kill her for a long time until Paul Rudd figures a way out to kill him. And so, like af- everything after the bug zapper kind of bummed me out. But well, I, like the- I also really liked the subatomic thing, and and I ha- and I hate to say this because I know Tom was a big fan of this movie, and we reviewed it without him, and he was I think he was pretty frustrated listening to us miss the point on it. Is that I, I think that's catcher. No, it's Interstellar. That whole thing where he's he's going down into the subatomic level, in you know, to save his daughter. Um, Again, was yeah. I, I really liked the way that went, and it reminded me a little bit of Interstellar. But I liked the way that the movie handled it. I, I really, really liked the way that looked. I know. I, I mean, it's not that sort of tesseract kind of a thing, but I, I don't know. I forget how Tom just put it. About like I don't know, just like crystals or something. But I, I like the visuals of that. I mean, I, I just I, I bought this. I actually did think of Interstellar at that point too, because another thing that drove me crazy about this is uh, using the daughter as motivation. Um, I agree with you on that. For the bad guy to just run and capture yeah. her like that, but but mainly just all this nonsense at first about you know Paul Rudd has to be talked into doing something to prove himself to his daughter, right? Uh, and rather than getting a real job, he's going to go ahead and go on another criminal heist. Like, like I didn't have a lot of yeah. sympathy for the choices he was making. And I know the movie was trying to make it out to be, um, you know, oh, this is his last hope. And he's only doing it for altruistic purposes because he wants to be with his daughter. And I, I just thought that that was shamefully manipulative. And I wasn't. I thought it was funny because it was so dumb for the reasons you just said. But also, for what it's worth, Tom, in the comics, she becomes a superhero, the daughter named Stature, FYI. Yes. Well, I, I have to say, I, I really agree with you on that point, Tom, because one of the things that I find that I'm finding increasingly tiresome in movies is this use of divorce and a, and a parent trying yeah. to make good with a kid as a shortcut for stakes for why they have to do something. Because I think that 
his character and the way Paul Rudd could have played him could have had plenty of motivation on his own without having to bring his daughter a crappy gift because he's lost custody of her and suddenly all that stuff about divorce is shorthand whether it's this or Jurassic World or a, a ton of other oh my god that's right the Jurassic World stuff exactly thing is right I hate, I hate that yeah. part of that's my personal history but I I can't stand that like well, the mom's got a new boyfriend, and you're the loser, and you're in jail, and now you have to have some sort of motivation to and now we all get along. And back your that. daughter because we can't figure out a way to have for you to have a motivation. I really, I really, really despise that. That's one of the things. It's so much awesome. as I love this movie, I, fi- I find it despicable, and, and it's just a shortcut. Yeah, and and Kelly, not only do we now all get along and have dinner, but oh, the cop is just going to file the paperwork differently. So that whole bit about you being arrested earlier. Let's just skip over that. We're just going to erase yeah. that from the computer. Now that you've trashed my house, like the the thing he was he was he, the cop didn't like him for before was a better thing. Like he was at least helping the poor, but in this he just shows up. Like all that happened because of him. Like his daughter's put in danger because of him. I did actually kind of like that final scene where they're in, in, at the table where they're kind of trying to like. Here's a video of her. I did. I loved your joke about it, but here's a video of her in her first cartwheel, and and then everybody's like, "Well, this is kind of awkward. We're trying to make this work." I kind of like that, but that's kind of a personal thing. Uh, all right, Dingus. I'm guessing you also really liked because uh, again, I this totally bounced off of me. I couldn't have cared less. Uh, I'm imagining you. You were one of the people who my, my theater, by the way, loved this. They applauded when yeah, he uh, nice, came yeah. back from being subatomic. Nice. There. So I'm, I'm guessing Dingus stood up and went, nice, when Anthony <laughs> Mackie shows up. Dingus, you must have loved that. That stuff I did. was for you. Oh, and you yeah. said Kelly Wand. Okay. Yeah, 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 I did. All right. Falcon. Well, also, he, he beats Falcon's ass, too, so that was kind of cool. <laughs> but I like that the movie acknowledges the, the uh, Avengers universe for my sake and then winds up going there and and sort of doing the and sort of increasing the Venn diagram part. Right. I kind of like that. Tom, it's comedy. It's white man, black man comedy. What? Oh, just like Silver Streak. Yeah. Yeah, with uh, Gene Wilder. Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. Pryor. Well, my my over is actually where uh, uh, Anthony Mackie gets introduced. So I I did like better than this, even though I didn't like it, uh, Captain America 2. Um, Really? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, and You're weird. <laughs> I'm, I'm bracketing this one closely. Not liking Captain America 2. This yes, is right up it. there with Captain America 2. So I put this under Captain America 2. However, this movie, not as bad as the first Thor movie. <laughs> I thought the second Thor movie was worse than the first Thor movie. Uh, the second one, at least, why did I not like, hate that one so much? I forget why. But the, the first one was that. just so self-important. Just Kenneth Branagh thinking he had some classic had drama jokes. on his hands. and Yeah. All right, so Kelly, one, give me your over and under. My over is the Shrinking Man because that was where I really. It yeah, seemed like there's no such movie. Seen. There's a novel called The Shrinking Man, and the adaptation Incredible. of Richard Madden's novel is because Universal wants it to to punch it up. The Incredible Shrinking Man, right? Like Hulk, which is a great movie, by the way. I just rewatched yeah. it. This this made me rewatch that 1957 Incredible Shrinking Man. Yeah, and the ending of that movie. It kind of takes the. It's similar. It's like subatomic. This they were going to make a sequel to that movie. By the way, did you know that where he's he's in inner space? Um, I okay. don't think I did. No. Uh, um. The ending of Incredible Shrinking Man isn't at all what I remembered. By the way, I haven't seen Incredible Shrinking Man probably since I was a kid, uh, and was just freaked out by that spider stuff. Yeah. By the way, that spider yeah. stuff in Incredible Shrinking Man still really creepy. Like, it's yeah. Terrifying. 
Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's a messed up dog. Right. See, they feed the they feed the ant under the table. The parents are fine with the the kid having a pet ant. Oh, adorable! No, they don't know. It's totally a secret. <laughs> oh, that ant! Is... They don't can't feel an ant under the table. What? That'd be hard to nope. conceal from a mother. No, that's the whole joke. Is that they don't know that she's feeding the ant, and it's their pet now. The guy, the dad's a cop, and the mom's a mom, and they neither of them notice a giant ant under the table. Correct. Okay. <laughs> you just fed right into Tom's hands. Correct. <laughs> All right, so I'm sorry. So Kelly Wan, Incredible Shrinking Man, uh, is over. And by the way, the ending of Incredible Shrinking Man, I always, I seem to recall that it was this weirdly nihilistic um, resignation to him. He's just going to waste away. Uh, yeah. It's in, like affirmation of the importance of life. Yeah. Which well, is and also, odd. A, yeah, and a breadcrumb is now going to be. He has infinite food now. If he just, if he gets near enough to the breadcrumb. Guess so. Yeah. How is he going to hydrate himself though? I don't know, but he's excited about the the journey. I guess so, yeah. Just like the guy in Prometheus was excited about his oh, right. character. Carrie, um, what is your under? Yeah, for this My one. under is Incredible Shrinking Woman. Oh, boy. Sense. So I haven't seen that, but I read about it after thinking, should I see that? And it, yeah, it sounded like that was... A, yeah, like see No, there's some funny shit in it, but it's okay. also... Uh, but it's Lily Tomlin doing her little thing where she plays a bunch of parts in the movie, right? Yeah, but she's mostly... Uh, a put-upon housewife. Okay. And then she's a phone operator who's not shrinking. But it's not as know. good as Ant-Man. Right. Ant-Man's better than right. Incredible Shrink Woman. Although Incredible Shrink Woman has a lot of pastels in it. It's kind of like uh, Edward Scissorhands. Like the t- this the look of the town where she lives is kind of part of the movie. It's like mm-hmm. a character in the movie, Tom. Okay, interesting. Actually, New York's that. a character in they, uh, they Came Together. Another mm. movie. Right, sure. Dingus over and under for Ant Man. I, I had I had two different over and unders, so I'm going to choose the one that uh, that tacks away from what Tom chose because it almost mirrors what Tom chose. Um, instead, I'm going to just choose something obscure. My over under is uh, really dumb gifts given to kids, um, or <laughs> dumb gifts that deadbeat dads or uncles want to procure for kids kind of a thing. Real quick, oh. I didn't understand. What was the, Was there a joke, or what was the deal about him giving a, a, a freaky rabbit to his daughter? Did I miss something, or that was the entirety of the joke? I think that's that just horrible prop design, because that thing looked like a horror creature. No, it was supposed to be that way, and that's like, he's the funny yeah, dad who gives him the ugly crap. Where are you going to buy that piece of crap it's a it's totally crap I, I think it was an inside joke for those two characters like here honey i get you the ugly rabbit yes but guy. kelly wand where are you gonna buy a, a a rabbit that looks like it has it's a chemical engineer i know where you'll buy it you'll buy it at the store that the key and peel dude runs with Catherine hahn from tomorrowland all right fair enough fair enough uh, but that thing was just so dumb so anyway uh it's not the gifts itself it's just the procurement procurement of gifts by either you know, some sort of deadbeat uh, person who's in that person's life. Mm-hmm. So the over would be from Kiss Kiss Bang Bang when um, Robert Downey Jr.'s character is in the uh, in the store at the beginning trying to figure out what he's supposed to steal for his niece, um, and she just keeps at, she keeps telling him what the thing is. It's the cyber. It's the cy- it's some sort of like cyber creature, and he's and she's like, why don't you just ask somebody who's working there? And he says they're all busy right now, but he's there after hours and he's stealing something. So the uh, the 
over is, I mean, because I like that movie right. so much more. So it's a better example of that situation, right? So, okay. Yeah. So the under, and these are not, these are not quite as closely bracketed as Tom, uh, as Tom's are, I think. The under would be taken when Liam Neeson oh. shows up with that crappy, um, karaoke device to the rich person's party who is giving his daughter a horse. Oh, that's right. I vaguely remember that. Yeah. I like the Baron Conair, too. Who's getting a Baron Conair? Nick Cage's kid. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I want to make honey on Evangeline Lilly's stinger. One, two, three. Only you and me. Got one eighty degrees, and I'm going between. One, two, three. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Work the carpet, match the drapes. Let's share that streak. Down there. Yeah, that Agent Lily's. She's Agent uh, no. I, I do not watch Agent Carter. Evangeline Lily. What did you think about Evangeline Lily? What were you going to say, Tom? I missed it. Oh, she's she's such an actress. <laughs> I, I liked her. I, I thought she was. She wasn't bad at this. I, I agree with Dingus. I think she's hit and miss. She plays a lot of bad roles. You know. I just like her mouth. I like her ass. It's almost as good as her mind. All right, what is this locker room all up in here? Sorry about that. I just like her mouth. She's got a great mouth. She's got a cool mouth. She like her eyes. Mm-hmm. Um, they do, you don't get to see much of her in this movie, and her her hair's kind of fucked up. Also, I, I wanted to know why there weren't more, more women. Why couldn't more of the wombats been women? Why couldn't you have women in that wombat? Because Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish. Oh, all right, fair enough. Yeah. Uh, Check out their other movies, see how good they are with them. I think taking them out probably increased this movie. Anyway, going on. Kelly Wand, what is this uh, three by three? This week's theory, theory, I think, is one of the best ones we've ever had. That's what I predict. Hmm? And the listeners seem to agree, because they wrote in like gangbusters. It's three best taglines, which I guess... You don't like because we already do taglines sort of at the beginning of the podcast, so maybe to you it's kind of like. Uh, here's here's my problem with it, and I'll be going first. Uh, uh, taglines aren't really relevant anymore. Um, oh, but we've done movie posters. No, no, right, yours. right. Movie posters are still relevant, but a tagline uh, in in this day and age when we we can watch trailers online, uh, you know, when trailers are you know we can't we can see them at will. They're they're a big part of how movies are sold. Uh, taglines are, are less relevant. They're basically just text on a poster, and any given movie will have multiple posters for different markets. Um, like if you look up a lot of movies, they're gonna have like you know five six taglines. I looked up Minion, for instance. Minions has five taglines on IMDb. They right. are. I was gonna use all of those. Here you go. It's going to be a blast. That's dumb. Before grew, they had a history of bad bosses. What? Oh, it's a prequel. Go back to where it all began. Blame. Meet Stuart, Kevin, and Bob. What? And then here's my favorite tagline for Minions. Uh-oh. That's the tagline. So <laughs> taglines basically, like... It That's used a to movie be, for three-year-olds. It used to be, well, I know, but you can also pull up... A, a lot of movies have multiple taglines. And it used to be that a tagline was an exercise in how... It's sort of using the, the, the economic use of words to make somebody want to see a movie. And now they're just like slapdash marketing. There's so many different ones. They're everywhere. Um, so for, for me, th- this topic, uh, 
for it to sort of be relevant for me or to, to make a difference, like for a tagline to work for me, it kind of requires that, that I was a kid again, um, and it was one of the few things that I knew about a movie because I, I wasn't like seeing all this marketing in advance uh, because I wasn't like watching – you know there weren't – trailers weren't readily available. Um, so, so for me – a tagline should be from the seventies. All of my picks are basically from when I was a kid. Yeah, they were things that I heard that made me want to see a movie. And now I know about movies. You know, I basically go to see movies based on who directs them and who's in them. Uh, I couldn't care less what the marketers of a movie mm-hmm. want me to know about it. So all three of mine are uh, movies that I heard the tagline and it made me want to see it even more. Um, so none of these are, are modern. And yes, Kelly Wand, let's see. Yep, all from the seventies. Um, well, that it still makes it a relevant. I mean, I think it's a legal move to say three as a three by three topic. Oh, sure, sure, but it's it's not like I, I don't think taglines. I just I, I'm just saying I don't think taglines are what they once were. Uh, okay. Yeah. Well, that's a far cry from this is this topic's problematic. Um, yeah, I mean, you can do whatever you want for your topic. I'm willing to try anything, but I just... Three Best Oceans, Tom. Remember when I did that? Uh, I vaguely do, yes. That was <laughs> that one was better than taglines. What? Yeah, how about that? All right, let me hear your 70s ones. For, so, I... And for instance, I think so many taglines are just, they're not good, they're just famous. Like, I hope I'm not stealing anything. <clears throat> uh, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away? That's a that's stupid a tagline. tagline, because... It, it's it's basically an expression of distance, both uh, spatial and temporal. It says to me, "Hey, this movie is of no relevance to you." No, I liked it because it meant you're not on Earth anymore, so don't expect that that's going to be like a plot twist. Like Tatooine's going, they're going to see I'm, the statue. Of I'm pretty sure. Uh, okay, fair enough. Like just to make sure that you're not going to, they're basically making it clear up front. There's there's not going to be any Planet of the Apes twist at the end. Right. All right. Fair enough. But maybe they're our ancestors. I just think that that's a terrible title. Like so many things about Star Wars, it's not good. It's just famous. Um, Well, (laughs) there's a lot of taglines that don't fit that. Let's not bring up any other examples of taglines. Let's just give her. Uh, I I I stole things as number one. I'm sorry. Uh, Then let me uh, go with my number three. Uh, I remember as as a kid, my cousins telling me about this movie, my older cousins, who used to chase me around with uh, a ventriloquist dummy. Because I, when I was a little kid, by the way, uh, because I thought those things were terrifying. This is before the movie Magic ever existed. I thought those things were terrifying, and they loved like tormenting me and scaring me. Uh, I remember one of them telling me about a movie where a monster uh, j- uh, basically bursts out of someone's chest, uh, and this monster has a mouth inside of its mouth. Uh, yeah. And I was like, oh, my God, that's terrifying. Why are you telling me this? And then seeing the poster and the words, in space no one can hear you scream, being on that poster – and thinking, geez, what are, what are they screaming about? Like, what makes you scream? And why? Like, that freaked me out as a kid. Um, so Alien, this super famous one that I think is famous and good, um, you know, it's an expression of something central and fundamental about the movie rather than just saying, hey, this is way over here a long time ago. It's of no relevance to you or whatever. We're, we're completely distant from you. Like, that makes me think, oh, my God, what is going on? Uh, as a kid, that totally freaked me out. <laughs> I like that it's almost that, though. It's still in space, and you're like totally different. 
Well, no, no, because space can be like like you look up into the sky and you see space. To just say a long time ago, far away, okay, whatever. I know. You know that, that could be that. That by the way, a long time ago. Oh no, it does say galaxy far, far. I was going to say it could apply to something said in ancient China, but upon reflection, that's not a galaxy. So it well, was, it I could apply to something us. in ancient China because it was based on hidden fortress, right? Uh, I believe that's Japanese. Thing. Oh no, right. what? Kurosawa tended to do movies about Japan, but yeah. Mm, not always, though. Um, he branched out. So there's my number three, is Aliens. And, and all you of these are going to be pretty straightforward, yeah. So. Well, that's a great tagline. It's only, it, it is so well known, though, that I can see why you, like, felt well, annoyed I, that you have to even say why it's good, because everybody knows why it's well, good. Well, and that's the thing, is, are there, and I guess we'll find out, but I, I, can't, like, I don't think the contemporary taglines are as iconic as they used to be because this used to be the marketing push behind Alien was, hey, this tagline, this image, you know, they weren't relying on trailers and Sigourney Weaver going on Jimmy Fallon. Uh, you know, they this is what they had to deal with. You, you hear this creepy phrase, you tell your friend or whatever, uh, and it's supposed to be like a little a little prose worm that works its way into your imagination or your memory somehow. Uh I don't know if modern taglines do that that well. I mean, I well, I agree with just throwing throwing a bunch of stuff out there to see if something sticks. But they could if they were. Well, they could, that. and that's why I'll be curious what you guys come up with, what the listeners come up with, like what modern taglines work for you. I I honestly don't know a lot of taglines for for modern movies, and they're right all, I just don't too. know them. Yeah. All right. Well, Dingus, you're next. What is what is your third favorite tagline of all time? Uh, right, mine's uh, kind of the opposite of what you were just talking about. It's just obviously something that a marketing person threw up that was really funny and stuck with me that I remembered. And it's one of six taglines for this movie. I won't read the rest of them. Um, but the this particular tagline uh, is, if you hear a strange sound outside, have sex. And this is from the movie A Cabin in the Woods. And A Cabin in the Woods has a bunch of funny ah. taglines. Uh, and I loved kind of looking up the posters this week. At, you know, at first I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with this topic? How am I going to bend it? Um, and then as I was looking up, it was kind of fun to look up posters and see and actually pay attention to the taglines because usually I kind of ignore that. Um, and uh, and so I really like, I thought this was just really clever, but I think Tom's right. This is really something that was just thrown up against the wall and some marketing person said, people will laugh at that. They'll get what the gist of the movie is, uh, and it will get the right group of people to come see our movie. Well, here, so it's just, if you hear a strange sound outside, right. have sex. And here's what I'm curious about, Dingus, is where did that appear? Because I vividly remember the poster with that puzzle box house with the cabin. Uh, I don't think that ever said, if you hear a strange Sound outside, go have sex, because that wouldn't fit with the image on the poster. So where were they using this tagline? Or do oh, you... it was it was just on one of the posters, and, and I will I, and I've looked up all the posters for all three of mine, and uh, I will post them as post images of them because I was kind of cogn- I was looking at uh, our DVD collection and trying to. At first, I was like, let me look just look at movies I haven't seen yet that people oh, have I recommended to me. Uh, let me try to let me try to do that for my topic. Just. Things I haven't seen yet that people have recommended to me, let me look at those. But the DVDs don't match up with the poster. So then I started looking at posters, and for and you can find images for for these posters. So this is just one of those advanced posters for The Cabin in the Woods that, that is kind of in red. It says Cabin in the Woods, and then it says, if you hear a strange sound outside, 
have sex. But was it that poster with the puzzle box house, or it was a different poster? No, it's a different poster. It's, okay. It just it, sh- it sort of shows the cabin in 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 this sort of red background kind of right. thing. Right. Carry on. What's your third favorite uh, movie tagline? I picked ones that made me laugh. So <laughs> my number three is. This is the weekend they didn't play golf. And it's deliverance. All right, that's pretty funny. See? This was on a poster. This is an official tagline on the yeah, deliverance I saw the poster. poster. I swear to God. I'm guessing it's a fan edit. Fan edit. No. Fan it's edit. a famous tagline. Wow. So John Borman was like, hey, you guys, we're going to sell. Actually, he probably had no say in it. He made it as a horror. It's, he thinks right. it sounds scary. Right. Oh no! I, I seriously doubt John Borman came up with the tagline for Deliverance. Well, what if he did? Then would, you, would that blow your mind? What's that guy's name? James Dickey. Didn't he write the uh, novel? Oh, I don't think that I knew that Deliverance was from a novel. <sighs> In the novel, they play golf also with the hillbillies. Ah. So that tagline would have worked. All right. Well, my number, golf, you know. uh, my, my number two. That's fine. Uh, my number two favorite tagline. Um, and I think this also was one of my favorite movie posters when we brought this up. Uh, the tagline is, there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. <laughs> the movie is uh, Larry Cohen's... Uh, That's I, I a great think, one. Uh, it is, and, and here's the deal. So it's alive, and this is, by the way, a classic example of, of what I'm talking about, the relevance of these taglines to the actual creation of the movie. Um, it, it's alive was made by Larry Cohen, uh, it was released in 1974 with uh, – it was a very limited release. Uh, Warner Brothers had no confidence in it. Uh, according to the DVD commentary, uh, the people who greenlit it at Warner Brothers were replaced while the movie was being shot. So that once Larry uh. Cohen finished it and, and turned it over for distribution, uh, the new executives had no interest in it um, and basically just shoved it out. Very limited release in 1974. Uh, it didn't do well. And it just went away. Then, in 1977, uh, two, well, it was two years later, so it had to run through 74. At some point before its 1977 release, new executives came on board. Uh, Larry Cohen was like, hey, you guys really look at this. Uh, I think it's something that, that you could appreciate. Uh, this, these new executives liked it and re-released it. You know, two years later, three years later, than the original release. Uh, and this time, they actually put a concentrated effort behind the marketing. So in 1974, the poster for It's Alive, the tagline was, in the 74, its original release, and It's Alive, by the way, is a crappy little movie about a a mutant baby. Um, The original tagline in 74 was, whatever it is, it's alive. (laughs) (laughs) Which is terrible. Uh, But people who didn't like it, Selling it to right, exactly. Whatever this movie is, the tagline was basically a shrug when you think yeah. about it. Yeah. So, but '77, where yeah. I think they really appreciated that they could get behind this, uh, they had the the infamous uh, movie poster with the claw hanging out of the crib. There was a TV commercial that went with it. Uh, they bought advertising. It had a wider release, um, and it did great. Uh, and as, as a matter of fact, as it was making money, uh, they took out ads in the trades. Um, you know, proclaiming how profitable it was to hopefully get other theaters to pick it up. And in the ads, uh, because the tagline was on the poster, uh, 
there's only one thing wrong with the Davis baby. It's alive. In these trade ads they took out to proclaim how well it was doing, they wrote at the top of the ads, at the top of the ads, there's nothing wrong with the Davis baby. And then underneath they would write how much money it was making. Did so wait? The other guys were fired. The ones you fired. I think it was just the normal turnover of executives and and at Warner Brothers. I don't know the specifics, and I only know this based on a secondhand report of Larry Cohen's comments on the DVD, which I haven't actually heard. Um, They never know. No one knows anything. William Goldman's right. Like Star Wars was, was they were trying to bury that. They thought the Side of Midnight was going to be the big hit that year. Executives don't know shit. Right. But to, to be fair, though. Uh, it really did take a matter of people getting behind it and marketing right. it. Like it was this yeah. whole campaign, which worked on me. I remember seeing that TV commercial as a kid, yeah. which is saying, you know, there, there's something wrong with the Davis baby. And the camera's slowly moving around this crib, and then you see the little claw sticking out of the crib, and you see, you, you hear, the thing wrong with the Davis baby is that it's alive. And that's the name of the movie. It looked too scary for me to see that p- picture. I, like, I, that's exactly, yeah, and that's... You know, this this was uh, my post-Jaws years, but this is, yeah. Kids who've seen it and go, yo, you eat some milkman? I'm like, what? Right, right, yeah. yeah. That sounds fucked up. A whole milkman? And that were, really impressed there me. There were three of these, by the way. It was so profitable. They did three of them. Uh, Larry it's still Stoyan. alive. Uh, and, uh, is that the second one? It's still alive in an island of the alive, yeah. Uh, uh, that's the one you told me about, but then you said don't watch it. I, I don't think, I don't really recommend any of them. There's a 2008 remake, by the way, which Larry Cohen... Uh, wrote the script for, and then later basically said, it's a piece of crap, don't see it. Um, uh, <laughs> with Bijou Phillips as the, the mother, Ew. and some, I think there's like, yeah, you know, CG mutant baby. Uh, but he wasn't involved? No, he wrote the script, and then later said, by uh, the way, this thing is a piece of crap, don't just see it. it? Yeah, basically. It's not alive. Yeah. Hmm. Alright, so there's my number two favorite tagline. Uh, Dingus, what's your second favorite tagline in a movie? All right, my second favorite tagline goes along the lines of taglines that I find ineffectual uh, because I don't know what the heck they mean. Um, And my number one is along those lines as well, but this one is for a different reason. And um, the reason I chose this particular tagline is because I I really love – I don't watch trailers. I mean, people know that about – me, they know that about Tom. We we really avoid trailers because we're very spoiler averse. Um, but I do like the idea of trailers as sort of this weird marketing art form. And, but I particularly like trailers um, as this weird marketing art form in older movies, like back in the 50s and the 40s, where they would just do this weird, just like throwing words at the screen, like, it's it's something you'll never see. <sighs> And, and exclamation points and all over the screen. Um, some of those like, older, they're, they're, like blo- they're like blog headlines in a way. They really are, and it, and it's so entertaining to watch some of those old things because some of them bear no resemblance to the movie that you're going to see, um, and w- which might be true of modern trailers as well. But modern trailers have a different. They're actually trying to manipulate you in a different way than the older trailers were. So I was thinking of older movies that I really love and looking up some of their taglines uh, and ones that it's had stuck with me, even though they don't make any sense for me. So the the one I chose for my number two is a movie that I absolutely adore called Sweet Smell of Success, which is this film from 1957 that's, that's about this Manhattan press agent who is trying to get his 
his, uh, what do you call them, uh, clients, um, talked about in a certain columnist's newspaper. And this is Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster, and the dialogue is freaking incredible. It's written by Clifford Adetz. Um And I, I absolutely love Sweet Smell of Success. And the, the tagline that I'm going with is, I, mean, I, I, I honestly, when I look at it, I don't even know what in the world they were thinking in, in putting it there. Um, but it's the motion picture that will never be forgiven or forgotten. Forgiven? Yeah. Wait, I, I thought the tagline for that movie was, he, want, he, want, he doesn't want... Wait. He wants you to tell the story, but this isn't the story the way he wants you to tell it or something like that. Well, there's there's a few different ones. One of them is a, is basically a paragraph long. I don't know where that tagline shows up. Uh, but, that, but the one you're talking about is the one that talks about J.J. Hansecker, who's played by Burt Lancaster. And it's, it is, this is the story of J.J., but not the way he wants it to be told. Right. But, the, but, the, but the one I absolutely love is this poster that shows Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster like in this defiant pose against each other. And it's the motion picture that will never be forgiven or forgotten. And I love this because I, I don't understand what in the world this has to do with the movie because I don't necessarily understand what this movie felt like it was underlining or uh, not underlining, but um, what word am I looking for? Uh, that's uh, uh, it's, it's destroying or, or messing with. I, I mean, part of it is that it's based on originally a play. And so it was messing with the publicist, uh, world in New York City, and so the idea that they're messing with the publicist world in New York City in this world in this in this world of publicists and how we get access and how we don't and and maybe they think it's an expose. So maybe the the marketers thought that this this movie could be pitched as this idea of we are exposing this underbelly of New York City, and so that idea of the motion picture that will never be forgiven or forgotten. I love that tagline. Because I, I used to, I mean, I used to collect posters, movie posters, and I just remember that poster of the two of them side by side in that, that tagline. Alright, Carrie like Warren. So, oh. yeah, go ahead, sorry. Just I like that movie. Mm-hmm. It's good. No, I, lo- I love that movie. The dialogue in that movie knocks me out every time I see it. Uh, Alright, Tom. Yes. Are you me. ready? Yep. Do you remember the tagline for Karate Kid 2? I do not. <laughs> this time Are it's personal? No, good guess. Uh, that's good. What to you is the most generic possible tagline for any sequel? Without, just get, like if you were in charge of making that, what would you, what would He's you He's back. <laughs> that's actually better. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. The slogan, that's that's uh, Halloween 2, isn't it? Like I said, most generic oh. for any sequel. You could use that for anything that's a 2. That would have been great for Terminator 2 Judgment Day. The Karate Kid 2 tagline is, the story continues. Oh, sure. Yeah. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, that's even more uh, applicable to any sequel than he's back. Yeah. The story continues. That's it. All right. That's my number two. My favorite tagline 
The movie is awful, by the way, but man, what a famous tagline, and it sure made me want to see the movie. Uh, is just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water. Um, you, you can't beat that as a tagline. It definitely is like reminding you, hey, remember how awesome Jaws was? Remember how it freaked you out? Well, Jaws 2 is going to do it again. It absolutely didn't, of course. Um, and by the way, the poster for Jaws 2 is so freaking stupid. Is it the water skin check? Yeah. So it's got the same it's missing part of the shark, but it's breaching the water behind her. Yeah, it yeah. looks like the shark just missed. Like yeah. it just whiffed. And whoops, she I should have come up a little earlier and I would be eating her. But nope, instead, I've come up in the water behind her and she's just going to get towed out of my way. And I've, yeah. Yeah. That first one, it's a naked woman, which is interesting enough. And then it's coming right up beneath her. Well, the first one makes you think, and I, we talked about this in the yeah, movie did. poster podcast, and that was, I think, my favorite movie poster. It makes you think, oh, God, what's going to happen next? You know, she's about to get eaten. This she one makes you it. think, uh, yeah, this one makes you think, oh, well, I guess he blew that, and then now she's going to enjoy the rest of her day water skiing, and the shark's going to be hungry. All right. Yeah. By the way, the movie's so stupid, too. I, I rewatched that. Uh, he does get her, by the way. He, he eats a water skier who's being pulled at full speed behind a speedboat and he just swims up behind her and eats her. Uh, not that you see anything. Because uh, he likes sound, even though she's Yeah, exactly. The that's the that's the, the twist this time, and that's how Brody defeats the shark. Right. Is, uh, he remembers. Sonics. Yeah, exactly. He bangs on a cable. With an oar. Just like Ant-Man. Yeah, with an oar. Yeah. But, like, she's not making noise, the water skier, so... Well, he's just hungry and he's chasing stuff. And the funny thing, too, is after the water skier gets eaten, the, the woman towing the water skier is in a boat. And she's like, hey, what happened? Where are you? Where are you? And then the shark comes up and hits the boat. And she, in, in freaking out, she's like picking up things to throw at the shark. And she picks up a can of gasoline with apparently the lid off of it and holds <laughs> it upside down where it looks like she's literally, she is. She picks it up like to throw at the shark and then accidentally spills gasoline all over herself. So she drops that and then picks up a flare gun to shoot the <gasps> shark, and it catches what? her on fire. Do you not remember Wait that, Kelly Wand? No, I do not It's the remember. stupidest self-immolation scene ever. That's like a Night of the Living Dead, but then it's... Well, Night of the Living Dead, it's plausible. He puts the torch right. down, they splash it around, but she lifts up a can. It's, I mean, it looks she like she's just lifting it up to douse it on herself, like she's yeah. a Buddhist monk or something right. doing a protest. She really does lift it up and hold it upside down, and she's like, whoops, I got gas all over myself. I better put this down, and then she picks up the flare gun. Zoolander. And it's Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and by the way, it's how the shark ends up getting like burns on the side of his face for the rest of the movie. Oh, oh! So she does make. She does. Uh, she's not. She scars it. That shark has something to remember her by. That time it was personal. Yeah. That one thing. <laughs> by the way, I think it is. It's, it's kind of adorable. Uh, the way that some people call the shark Jaws, like they say, and then Jaws did this, and then Jaws did that, and then Jaws yeah. jumps on the orca, like like that was the shark. I do that. No, why? No, you don't. I would laugh at you if you did that. His name's Jaws. It's not Father's his name. name. Jaws. The third no. one's name is Jaws 3D. Well, so it's like it's like the it's like the uh, the Pope taking a name, right? Or it's like a royal name. Like once you yeah. become the lead in a shark movie, you become the next Jaws. Or once the shark becomes Pope, he becomes Pope Jaws. You don't call him Jaws. He doesn't have a name. It's the shark. Like it's a primal. That's a boy's force. name. Jaws. Well, Jaws by the Revenge way. is a girl shark, right? I don't know. I haven't seen that. In okay, what were you saying? Okay, Bruce is the shark's name. What's the right? actor's name? Because that's the mechanical shark they call Bruce, so that's the actor's name. The shark itself, like Jaws, is just—it's just calling the movie 
the most pertinent thing about a shark. Nobody cares about it, you know, its tail or its fin it's, or its eye or its It's like nose. calling Dr. Frankenstein monster. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. It'd be like calling it Bolt. Hmm. The Wolfman's name's not Wolfman either. It's Larry Talbot. I don't know who that the is. Not, his name's not Mummy. He's not a mum. Right, so thank you. You're just making my case. You don't call yeah. the shark Jaws. It's the shark. Yeah. The creature from the Blue Lagoon's name is uh, Blue Ray. Lagoon. There's no, there's no Blue Lagoon, and you're thinking the, black <laughs> the creature from the Blue Lagoon is Willie Ames, if I'm not mistaken, or no, is uh, is Brooks Paradise? Jones. No, yeah. it's the baby, and the problem is the Davis alive. baby. Yeah, see, Tom. By the way, in the book version of Jaws Two, oh, I was telling Tom before the podcast that in the novelization for Star Wars, uh, Obi Wan Kenobi's new body is found. <laughs> Near the robes, uh, cut in half by Darth Vader. Uh, so if a listener can confirm or deny that, although I'm I, I'm willing to bet twenty dollars that that happens in the novel. To well, Tom, it was so far away and so long ago. I don't think that's true. Remembers Kelly Wand. Yeah, yeah, but we can all identify with the cut in half naked part. That's what the lightsaber does. Lifesaber. Whose turn is it? All right, it's what's your favorite tagline? Before I get my favorite, I just want to tell you, Kelly, that time it was personal is one of the funniest things you've ever said. Which time? The water skiing? <laughs> no, that time it was personal. It's very that funny. That one time. <laughs> that time it was personal because this time it's personal is, you know, from Jaws 4. That's great. Why wasn't it and, personal in 3? Or 2? Because Jaws, because sharks don't care. Anyway, uh, uh, my number it. 3... I got him, Jaws. I heard it. Uh, I mean, my number one choice uh, was uh, – Tom totally made me nervous when he was talking about uh, his choice for number one, and, and, I, and that's why I, I kind of clamped down. I was like, guys, stop saying names because I got really nervous because my choice for number one uh, is – my. this is my favorite tagline of all time, bar none. You did and, pick Star Wars, didn't you, Dingus? I, and this is for a movie that basically did not get made. Uh, and this is why it is an ineffectual tagline. And um, I guess I should just read the whole tagline for you. Uh, in 1979, we discovered in space no one can hear you scream. In 1992, we will discover on Earth everyone can hear you scream. That's so, Predator Requiem. So this is my favorite tagline. This is from Alien, the Alien 3 that never happened. This is basically from the, the William Gibson, Gibson. Uh, Alien, the William Gibson script for Alien 3 that I think he started writing in 1987, perhaps. I'm not even sure when he started writing it. I mean, I've read a lot about this because I actually remember seeing this teaser trailer in a theater in this little theater in my college town, I was sitting there with my dad, and I remember seeing that egg appear, and and then on Earth, everyone can hear you scream, and then the Earth appearing beneath the egg as the egg starts to open up, you know, with this light flashing out of it. And, you know, at the beginning of the of the trailer, you see the you see the alien letters start to meld onto the screen, but just that the idea of the tagline on Earth. Everyone can hear you scream as being the sequel to uh, Aliens. Um, oh man, that was so awesome to me. I when I saw that trailer and when I saw that tagline, just that tagline, which stuck with me until now. On Earth, everyone can hear you scream. Was so exciting for me. Um, 
Yeah, so I, 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 I kind of am breaking the rules here because I don't know that I'm going to be able to find, and I said I would, but I was kind of lying a little bit. I don't know that I'm going to be able to find a poster that actually says on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. Kelly Wan did not say it has to be a movie that was ever made, by the way. So I, I know, he, I know he didn't, but, uh, but I still thought that that tagline thing on a poster was an important aspect. But as I went through the week and I looked at a lot of different taglines, I just couldn't get away from how awesome that tagline is and how awesome that would have been for a movie that could have been made after the after Tom's after Tom's number three in space. No one can hear you scream, and to lead into the next movie you're going to make after Aliens to be on Earth, everyone can hear you scream. That's just such a great choice. I thought that was such an awesome tagline. Best tagline ever. And uh, unfortunately, they made it. They made the tagline before they made the movie, which I think is a, is a mistake. So anyway, I'm totally excited about that tagline because I've always loved it. I've always loved the idea of that. Whatever William Gibson screenplay, if that even exists, it was about some being about on hits. some spaceship. Um, and it, uh, it was totally convoluted, but just the idea of the xenomorphs invading Earth and on Earth, I, I love that tagline so much. It made me so excited. Well, the thing is, there's always the Alien vs. Predator movies where they are on Earth. I know, but that doesn't so work for me. I just remember, yeah, remember being th- this college kid and seeing that thing. And I and I had only just seen Alien in a theater for the first time because I was at a reunion house and then seeing it at the same reunion house for something else and, and seeing that on Earth everyone can hear scream and just being like so charged. You know how that feeling it's is when, when you see, a, I don't know if a tagline can make you feel that way, like, oh my God, I just want to see that so bad. And then it never happened. Instead, we're on a prison planet. But, yeah, I know. The aliens never get to Earth, and the dinosaurs never get to the mainland again. It's probably Earth. best. I mean, what what are we going to do with a bunch of xenomorphs running around on Earth? That's what Sigourney Weaver said. Like she, they wanted to do it on Earth, and she kind of shit canned the idea. She's like, but what a, what a great tagline on. Uh, yeah. I mean, as a sequel tagline to what Tom said earlier. I mean, Tom's tagline is is the greatest. That on Earth, uh, in space, no one can hear you scream is awesome. Um, yeah. They weren't. They were on a different planet. They thought it was safe to go back into space. But I love that idea of on that as a as a as a follow up tagline on Earth. Everyone can hear you scream. And I tried to read some of the because the the William Gibson screenplay is available in various places. Yeah. So the the um, the whole idea of what he was writing about, as far as trying to understand the, how the xenomorphs would would would. I mean, it sounds like it leads basically into what. Ridley Scott was doing in Prometheus, which totally turned me off. But that whole idea of that tagline, I'm sorry to belabor this point, but I can't tell you how exciting that was, seeing that tagline for the first time. They are going ahead with the Hicks spinoff movie, but it's going to be Jay Courtney playing him. So. <laughs> all right, Kelly Wan, favorite tagline of all time in all of moviedom, what do you got? And then go to the listeners' picks. Uh, this is the tagline. You have to name the movie it goes with. Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? Corvette summer. That's what I would have thought. Top Diggis, your guess. It's a movie we've all seen. Uh, Furious 7. Star Trek 5. What? The Kirk, the one directed by Kirk. Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters this summer? Star Trek. Oh, the Five. God one? Yeah. The William Shatner directed? Yeah. Oh, what was the sub? What was the other title of it? The Final Frontier. Oh God, 
That thing's horrible. Star Trek Five subtitle is the Final Frontier. Yeah. Oh my god. And it's taglines. Why are they putting seatbelts in theaters? Because they're trying to find God or something. Oh, it's such. What's that got to do with seatbelts? Well, so you can't leave. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) Well done. Still didn't work, did it? Yeah. (laughs) All right, Kelly. What do the listeners have for us? You said this is a very popular topic. I'm not surprised. What do they got? Andrew Shee writes, well, there's only one that really sticks in my head, but it's a good one. Guardians of the Galaxy, you're welcome. For English, Grusa, Andrew. That is a good one. Was that the tagline, though? I thought it was from the trailer. Well, Tom's right. They just throw so much spaghetti against the wall. Yeah, there's no, yeah. There's no telling. Uh, the guy whose favorite movie is K-Pax just arrived. All right. How's it going? No one knows what you're talking about, but... T.J. Keller writes, No, Mr. Watt, I expect you to read number three, 1995, Tommy Boy. If at first you don't succeed, lower your standards. Pitch Perfect 2, we're back pitches. A day of the dolphin. Unwittingly, he trained a dolphin to kill the president of the United States. And I thought I'd try my hand at one. Battlefield Earth, it's a Kelly Wanopsis, but with worse acting. Keep up the good work. Day of the dolphin, a dolphin... Kills the president. They train it to. Like that's the that's the really? whole reveal, isn't it? Is that George C. Scott's training the ways to talk to dolphins, and they want to use them for assassination missions. I haven't seen it. Should I see that oh, movie? God, I loved I, I, I loved that movie as a kid. Yeah. Day of the Dolphin. Uh, yeah, you're the, right, Tom. That title turned me off, but I didn't know it was about an assassination. Ma, pa. That's the dolphin or the no, president. That's me. Arthur Jovan and Jelly writes, number three, an epic of epic epicness. Scott Pilgrim, Tom. I love that Edgar Wright stuff. Man, I can't get enough of that. Number two, the truth can be adjusted. Michael Clayton. Number one, your mind is the seat of the crime. Inception. Hmm. Runner-up, on the upside, at least it wasn't his dick. Kelly Wan's iconic 127 hours tagline. I think we all remember where we were when they said that. Paul Weimer writes, Desert. Number three, we're ready to believe you. There are a few of them in this movie, but this is the TV ad tagline within the movie itself of Ghostbusters. We're ready to believe you. Ah, I'll let it slide. Oh, man, you were thinking of cracking down, Kelly Wand. You were going to be a three-by-three cop. Awesome. Because mm, Ghostbusters has, like, pretty famous taglines in the poster. Never mind. I should be fine. I I said anything goes. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick by my guns. I think you even said we could just use the title of the movie. <laughs> well, that was the dare. That was a dare. From the movie. You can do that, but then you're the guy who did that. See what I'm saying? Uh, Houston, we have a problem. Dingus, you should know that one. Paul thirteen. Yeah, and space. No one can hear you scream. Is number one. It doesn't get any better than that. Uh, Nick D writes. Number three, man is the warmest place to hide. Tom, obvious one. Yep, that's a good one. Not, they never say it in the movie, though, so it doesn't count. Well, who would they say it to? Each other? Uh, no, it would be the thing, thinking that out loud, doing like a voiceover. Be a part of its it's the warmest place to hide by the process of elimination. Well, in that particular setting, right. Like They right. wouldn't say that if they were like in the tropics, for instance. Woman is warmer, even, I've found. See it with a bud, dazed and confused. 
I don't think this is meant to be a pun. I think it is meant to be a pun. (laughs) Yeah, pretty sure. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Day of the Dolphin. Unwittingly, he traded Dolphin to kill the President of the United States. Wow, that one's neck and neck with In Space, No One Can Hear You Scream. It is. Day of the Dolphins? Two Day of the Dolphins, and none from us. Like, it's his... Wow. I know. My mind is blown. Now I need to see the movie, just to justify... Simon Esders writes, Hey folks, let's get straight to the biscuits. Number three, pieces. It's exactly what you think it is. I'm not sure if exactly what you think it is usually involves cat scares delivered by martial artists, but you've got to admire the box's straightforwardness. Pieces? I don't remember that movie, Tom. It's obviously horror. It does sound like a horror movie. I I I would have to hear more about what it is. I don't know. I think it's a movie on video that's horror, and it's exactly what we think it is. What's the tagline from it? It's exactly what you think it is. Oh, yeah. that's the tagline. Oh, I didn't yeah. realize you were yeah. reading the tagline. Okay. Yeah, I didn't either. I was totally confused and hoping you guys would reveal it. Remember the fish that saved Pittsburgh? No. Mm-hmm. It's almost pieces. It's Pisces. Number two, where eagles dare. One weekend, Major Smith, Lieutenant Schaefer, and a beautiful blonde named Mary decided to win World War II. This is basically an entirely accurate description of the plot of this movie. I think it's pretty great. <laughs> eagles dare. Tom, or Eagles Dare. Number one, the thing with two heads. They transplanted a white bigot's head onto his soul brother's body. The only thing better than that tagline is that the trailer starts with the voiceover going, it seemed like a good idea at the time. (laughs) And finally, Chris Markard said, writes, hopefully nobody's chosen these taglines yet. Here are my three favorite Kelly Wan taglines. Aw, see? Ah, Markard said, damn you. Uh, Number three from Source Code, that's no moon. These are things I said. Mm-hmm. I have to read these? Yeah, you I just do. know that I'm only You have to for Chris. There's no other way to do that. We yeah. owe him a huge debt. He's on. He's our Paul that's... Rudd. I know, but still, it sounds like I'm self aggrant Okay. Source code, that's no moon. That was my tagline for that. From 127 hours on the upside, at least it wasn't his dick. These are what I'm going to be known for. From the movie 2012, if you like Roland Emmerich disaster movies, you're an idiot. Congratulations on 300 movie podcasts. What did he say? Congratulations on what? 300 movie podcasts. Thank you so much, Chris, for for keeping track of that and for all the work you do on this. That was awesome. Oh, wait, yeah, 300 is right. Yeah. For some reason, I did the math wrong, and I went, wait, it couldn't be 500 if it's been six years, five years. But never mind. Uh, Rounders up. I have some. Go ahead. I, I have none. Go ahead. Uh, oh, that, that was it. Carry on. I thought you said this is popular with the listeners. Well, it is. All right. Yeah, that's true. Uh, yeah, uh, I have no runners up because I don't really know. Uh, you know, like I started looking up taglines and was like, where were these? What? I've never heard this before. What? Yeah. Uh, assume the position is secretary. Mm. Uh, for three men, the Civil War wasn't hell. It was practice. Alan Iverson co-wrote that uh, for The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. Alan Iverson from the Philadelphia 76ers? Yeah, because it has practice in the quote. Oh, very good. Practice? You're talking about practice? No, I'm not talking about the game, Dingus. See, Tom's in the cold right now. Yeah, you should be hiding your sports. Uh, Jim Cotta, the skill of gymnastics, the kill of karate. Uh, Cannonball Run 2, the popcorn is in the lobby, the nuts are on the screen. 
Tom, Alien Resurrection. This is the tagline for it. It's been more than 200 years. The beginning has just started. No way. <laughs> what do you think of that one? I thought you were going to say it's been more than 200 years. What's up? Wizard of Oz. Gaiety, glory, glamour. <laughs> Three uh, I'll buy it, yeah. The Girl from Tobacco Row. I don't know what that is. A Girl Wilder Than a Peach Orchard Hog. Uh, shafts His Name, Shafts His Game. Uh, due to the horrifying nature of this film, no one will be admitted to the theater. <laughs> That's for schlock. For Black Christmas, if this movie doesn't make your skin crawl, it's on too tight. Uh, Ape. movie called Ape, Tom. The tagline is, not to be confused with King Kong. And uh, for Stick It, this is the most recent one, I guess. I think it's a movie about cheerleading. Uh, the tagline is, it's not called Jim Nice Ticks. All right, those are, your, those are your runners up. You had a lot to choose from, Kelly Wan. It must have been difficult to narrow it down to three. <laughs> and the story continues was my number two. Yeah. Oh yeah, and Holy Monty Python and the Holy Grail was makes Ben Hur look like an epic. All right. All right. I guess we're done with okay. this. So as you can see, really popular with the listeners. Uh, all right. So next week's three by three. This is going to be. This one's going to require some homework. I'm sorry mm-hmm. to say. You can't just look up a couple of taglines on IMDb. What? I know. This is going to be a tough one. All right. So, uh, Dingus, you alluded before to the scene in War Games where he uses a pull tab from a, a, a soda can or whatever. Right. Uh, you couldn't do that in a movie these days. Now, normally you get this kind of stuff, you know, as technology advances, where we most often see a scene in a movie, in an older movie, that would be in- invalidated by modern technology. It has to do with cell phones. So many cell phone scenes, so many cell, the, the presence of cell phones ruined so many scenes in older movies that wouldn't be able to take place today. A cell phone would solve so many things and it would subvert so many awesome scenes in other movies. So I'm taking cell phones off the table. So, other than cell phones, what I want from you guys are modern scenes that have basically been cancelled by technology. And by modern, what I mean is this has to be something within the span of your lifetime. I don't want you to point out to me that in the good, the bad, and the ugly, if somebody had a machine gun, he would have won the shootout in the end. You know, this has to be stuff that is contemporary. Um, and, and so that, that, that pull tab is a perfect example. We don't have soda cans like that anymore. So whatever gimmick you were referencing, Dingus, Matthew Broderick wouldn't be able to do that today. So I want a scene that modern technology, a modern scene that technology has basically canceled. Does that make sense? Uh, so and the it, pull tab. Don't ask it, questions. Yeah, and it can't be. It can't be have to do with cell phones or telephones. Like no, nothing to do with telephones and cell phones because that is a, the classic example. But I want other instances of that kind of thing. What's modern? Like? What I'm saying is like within you know a movie that, that something that takes place. Something that's not a period piece. It yeah. basically takes place within our lifetimes. Think of you writing a script in 1970 and then writing a script now. Here's an example, which is why I'm taking telephones off the table, is that I think it was Larry Cohen. He had this uh, this script. Well, oh, no, maybe phone I know Schumacher directed it. Phone booth? But yeah, phone booth. Yeah, it was, was him. A, was a it was Larry Cohen, and, and then, yeah, yeah, it's famously Michael Bay. is like, how do we get this out of the book? 
Right, exactly. And there were no more phone booths, much less people rarely use landlines by the time it was actually made. So they kind of cheated and they made it work. But that was a, a script that Larry Cohen had written. Technology basically invalidated it. So what I want are scenes that have been invalidated by technology that aren't related to cell phones or uh, or uh, telephones. Does so, Star Wars count as modern? It does not because it was a long time long ago. Time ago right, okay, yeah, right. yeah, exactly. Well, I thought because <laughs> the galaxy is far away, you know, relativity meant it was actually. That means it was even that much longer ago. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. No, can't even calculate that. So, I'm listeners, surprised. this is going to be a tough one. You don't have to come up with three. That is our job. If you just have one good one, send it in. If you have one that's not even that good, send it in. We'll read whatever you send us. Email it to 3x3 at quarter to 3.com. We'll read it on the air. Uh, and next week, we will be seeing a movie called 71. Um, hmm. Technically, it is a, uh, you know, quote mark 71. Uh, it is available now on a DVD and Blu-ray uh, and uh, streaming online. Uh, so uh, see that and join us. And before we go, so Chris Markinson, who uh, wrote in, was kind enough to highlight this for us. It was our 300th episode. Holy cats. Uh, what, this one or last week? This one. We've this done one. 300. Yeah. This is our 300th freaking episode. And Chris, by the way, and Dingus, you brought this up. Chris, you've been awesome to us. You've been ridiculously generous in supporting us uh, in many different ways, including just keeping track of everything we've done uh, and posting it at the forums at quarter to three where this podcast is hosted. Uh, man, we just we, we just thank you so much for uh, just keeping track of all of that for us. It's been really touching. And, and also, everyone who's been listening to us all this time, thank you so much as well. Uh, you know, we started this. 300 episodes ago, just as a way for us to just goof around and hang out with each other. And here we are, having done it 300 times, and uh, we have no sign, we, we have no intention of letting up. So, here's to 300 more. Making people listen to us hang out. That's right, and we, yeah, so, yeah. you Intercontinentally. Have to, that's right, we're, we're crossing oceans to do this, aren't we? Yeah, yeah it's a pain in the ass, <laughs> actually. So, thanks. Thank you. <laughs> All right, so next week, uh, C-71, join us for the podcast of that. Send in your your picks for modern scenes that have been canceled by technology. I'm Tom Chick. I've been joined by Christian McCrimsky. It's Christian Murawski. And we also have Kelly Wand. In space, it's personal. (laughs) La, 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 la. Yes, Tom hates Paul Red. K-Pak's tagline is Is he crazy or is he light years ahead of us? What's the answer to that, by the way? Spoiler. Uh, The answer is yes. Did you see that movie? I did not. That's that's the limit of my affection for uh, Kevin Spacey. We should do a a triple feature of K-Pax, Phenomenon, and Powder. And then just, like, do a podcast about that. I have seen none of those, so... You didn't see Powder? Oh. Nope. Well, that guy's kind of a hot-foot director these days. Uh, What's his name? The guy that directed Powder? Uh, Sean Pierre. He had an unfortunate uh, run-in with... Uh, yeah, he was... If I'm not mistaken, he, he, 
when Brian Singer had his difficulty, Powder's record was right. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Victor Salva. Wait, Salva, right, right. Yeah, way to end on a gross note, Kelly Wand. Well, phenomenon, uh, John Travolta also gross. So, I guess K Pax wins. Dingus, man, Who's your favorite bad news bear. <laughs> Man, you guys have got the weirdest goodbye rituals. <laughs>